difficult for us to imagine the pain that Jesus was going through, the pain that he had already endured as he stood there silent, waiting for the trial to begin. We can't imagine how bad the pain was. We can't understand what was going through his mind as he waited to be the sacrificial lamb for the sins of all mankind. He stood there in silence, listening to his detractors, then beginning to answer questions, waiting for his earthly fate to be determined by others. People had gathered, both Jews and Greeks had gathered there in Jerusalem that morning, and the crowd would have swelled as the morning went on. People gathered from all areas because they wanted to hear what he was accused of. They wanted to hear what his crimes were. But most importantly, they wanted to hear from his lips the answer to that question. It was the question that they had gathered there for. It was the question that they no doubt had talked about. There were probably rumors of how audacious this man was to make this claim. He had made it before. How incredible it was that he would actually say something like, I am the Son of God. And the crowd would have gotten silent just like we saw. Any murmuring would have come to an end as the question, that most important question was asked. Are you the Son of God? And with his reply, I want you to capture this. All humanity changed. Everything changed. His earthly fate hung in the balance. It was on the scales of justice. On one side of those scales was the question, and on the other side of those scales was his answer. It was why he was arrested in the first place. And he broke the silence as he was asked that question, Are you truly the Son of God? And he answered, I am. Father, guide us today into an understanding of what it means that Jesus was your son. God, we don't like to think about the pain that he went through. We don't like to dwell on it. We don't like to think about our Savior suffering, but he did, and he did it for us. And God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that today that your Holy Spirit would guide us into truth and into wisdom and into understanding. Father God, I pray that you would pierce the hearts of those who are here today who may have walked in and there's been a thousand distractions just in the last day. God, I pray that you would lead them to have an understanding and a focus as we kind of begin the Easter season of reflecting on the sacrifice that you made by sending your one and only Son. God, I pray for those who are Christ followers who came in here today, God, and they may be doubting the fact that you were the Son of God. God, I pray for those who came in here today and they may have made a decision long ago and they're not really sure about that. God, I pray that you would help bring clarity to their mind. And God, I pray for those who may have walked in here today and they've never considered the fact that you gave up that which was most precious to you for us. 
God, I pray that you would pierce those hearts and that you would, as your word says, draw those folks who are in here to yourself. God, I pray over the course of these next few weeks as we take a look at these I am statements, God, that you would pierce our hearts, that you would change our lives. And God, I pray that there are dozens and dozens of people who, God, say yes to you for the first time over the course of these next few weeks. God, change us from the inside out. Help us to have a new understanding of who you are. And God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would bind Satan from this place. God, we know that he hates us worshiping you, and he really hates us being focused on your death and your resurrection. And I pray that you would be glorified in this place. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. For those of you I don't know, my name's Todd. And I'm glad that you're here today. I'm the pastor. Glad that you have gathered here to worship with us. If it's your first time, just a special welcome. We are starting this series called I Am, and it'll lead us through into the Easter season, into Palm Sunday, and into Easter Sunday, as Cynthia said, as we worship out there under the tent. You know, Jesus in Scripture made at least eight I Am statements. There were at least eight times uh, from Scripture that we know of that he uttered those words, I am, which was such an important word in all of Scripture, and he described who he was. And often those claims that he made were dramatic. Often they were shocking. In some cases, they might have been blasphemous to the religious leaders of that day. They would have sounded harsh in their ears in some cases. But each time he uttered those words, I am, I want you to capture this. He spoke truth about himself. He spoke truth about what God wanted to do by sending him. And he spoke truth about the God-man relationship. He would break the silence and he didn't do it often, but when he did it, those words carried so much weight. And so we need to pay attention to those words that Jesus spoke after he would say, I am. Today, we're taking a look at the fact that Jesus, in that moment, in the midst of his trial, said yes to those charges. I am the Son of God. It was the very thing that got him arrested. And he did claim to be the Son of God. My prayer is that God would just move in our hearts that if you're a Christ follower in here, maybe out of today's message and out of these next few weeks together, you would have a deeper understanding of who God is and what he's done for you. You would be more passionate about inviting people to hear the good news of Jesus. And for some of you, you may have lost your way. You may have had a strong faith long ago, and because of your experience, because of life circumstances, it's been rocked. I pray that you would have a new, fresh, found faith and then there are some of you who probably are in here today and you've never said yes to Jesus. I'm going to give you the opportunity at the end of this message to say yes to him. I have a five-year-old son. His name's Sean. Sean David Cullen. And uh, Sean, is, uh, he's a good boy. He says some goofy things sometimes. He really does. Five-year-olds do that, don't they? But it's really interesting. As he gets older, he's starting to say things that, are, um, uh, that show compassion, that show love. Um, last night, I watched him crawl up into Cynthia's arms and just wrap his arms, his little arms around his mom and say, Mom, I love you. I just love that, man. That's just awesome. 
He's starting to say those things that are sentimental and meaningful. And it was so great. A few weeks ago, I overheard him talking. I think he was talking to himself. And uh, he said, he was saying, Sean David Cullen. He was saying his name, but he wasn't just saying it. He was saying it with conviction. He was saying it with a bit of pride. And then I got a bit of pride because I'm like, yeah, you are Sean David Cullen. And I heard him say those words. And I got thinking about the fact that there's an element of pride, good pride that we have when we associate our name with our heritage and when we associate our name with our mothers or fathers. And he was saying, Sean David Cullen, and dad was so proud. And I sensed from him that there was a bit of pride that he was my son. And I'm starting to sense from him that he has that pride. That kind of pride, that kind of heritage, that kind of uh, uh, essence or spirit is something that was prevalent in the Jewish community of that day and still is among Jewish people even today. If you've ever seen the film, the 1971 film, or been to the theatrical production of Fiddler on the Roof, you know that Tevye, right out of the gates, sang a song. What was it called? Tradition. Okay, I won't sing it for you this morning. I promise you I'll spare you that pain. But there was a cultural sense of not only a respect of God, but a respect of tradition, a respect of heritage. That whole play, that whole musical, that whole movie is based around the fact that there was a respect of tradition and heritage in the family. And so when Jesus uttered those words, when he said, I am the son of God, he was breaking so many rules. You see, he was breaking the rules that you weren't to blaspheme God. No one was to ever say, I am God, or I am the son of God, and Jesus uttered those words. And so he broke religious tradition, but he also broke family tradition. It was such a meaningful thing to say that I am someone's son. It's interesting, for some people, perhaps even you, you can kind of get your mind around the idea that maybe God, God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, wants to have a relationship with mankind. Maybe that makes sense up here in your intellect. Maybe you can get, even get your mind around the fact that there had to be sacrifice in the, all the Old Testament. God always uh, 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 forgave sin when there was animal sacrifice. And so maybe you can get in your minds around the idea that there had to be sacrifice. And maybe you can even get in your, minds, your mind around the fact that God had to send a representative to be that sacrifice between God and man. Maybe you can understand that. But sometimes the hardest leap to make is from understanding those things to realizing that this was the son of the living God. And that is not an unimportant thing to understand. Understanding that Jesus was God's son is foundational for our faith. I don't want you to miss that. It's foundational for our faith. It's different than any other religion. It's different than uh, any other philosophical viewpoint that God himself sent his son to die for us. And so today, the key point of today's message is this. Jesus' claim to be the son of God reveals the very essence of who God is, his power to save, and I want you to capture this, the eternal choice that we have before us. Today, there may be some of you who, for the first time, make that leap, leap and come to faith in Christ. And for some of you, it may settle your faith journey. It may settle something that's been bothering you. 
Those are my prayers. Let's dive in and find out what are some lessons that we can learn to deepen our faith walk from the statement that Jesus said that I am the Son of God. You see, first of all, Jesus' claim to be the Son of God means this, that Jesus reflects the nature of God. Jesus reflects the nature of God. Therefore, I can know what God is like. You ever have trouble understanding what God is like? You ever have those sleepless nights when you just think about it endlessly? What is God like? Who is God? Some years ago, Cynthia and I did a uh, small group uh, study, and it was called God Views. It was a fantastic small group study, and it was basically based around the premise that we all come into uh, trying to understand God with an already programmed view of who he is. Some of you may kind of connect with one of these. For instance, some people come into trying to understand God from the perspective of the fact that God is an old man in the sky, unattached, you know, uncommitted to us, very removed, very uneventful, very unfun, that he's just this old man in the sky. And that paints our view of who God is and maybe even who Jesus was. Some of you may have this perspective, that he's a puppet master controlling all of humanity's moves. You know, just kind of pulling the strings, manipulating things. Some of you may have this idea that he's like the sheriff, like a policeman, ready to capture and arrest you at your greatest point of need and at your greatest weakness. And if you make one wrong move, you're in trouble. Well... None of those views are correct, and unfortunately, we all have a bit of a pre-programmed view when it comes to God. But I want you to capture this. The way to really understand who God really is is to take a look at Jesus. That will help us understand who God is. The book of Hebrews was written for the Jewish people because for all of their history, they lived under the law. They lived under rules, and so a relationship with God was based on rules, Hebrews is written to help the Jewish people move from the fact that for forever uh, a relationship with God was based on rules, based on the law, to the fact that now that Jesus has come, now that he's died, now that he has risen uh, for the sins of the world, that that relationship with God can now be based on a relationship. And so the whole book of Hebrews is written to help us move from the idea of a rules-based understanding of God to a relational view of an understanding of God. And Hebrews 1 verse 3 says this, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Some translations say the brightness of God's glory. I love that. Jesus is the brightness of God's glory and he reflects exactly the nature of who God is. This morning we were driving in and my daughter was trying to chase the moon. That's how early we get here, by the way. She was trying to look at the moon and as it went kind of behind the trees, uh, she would go, Dad, you know, the moon. And she she asked a funny question this morning. She she saw the crescent. She said, Dad, does the other half of the moon fall to the ground? That was a kind of a cool question. I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. I don't know how I'll answer that. But the other day we were out and looking at that full moon and it was lighting up the sky and the moon is a reflection of the sun. But you don't really see characteristics of the sun in there, do you? just lights up the sky. That's not how God is. God, Jesus is not a reflection of God like the moon is a reflection of the sun. Jesus is a reflection of God like a bright room with a mirror in it. It's an exact, he is an exact representation 
of who God is. So if you're in here today and you've been struggling with who God is, I want you to capture this. You've got to look to Jesus. You've got to look at the one who said, I am the son of God. Think with me for a moment about Jesus's qualities. He was one who offered forgiveness. He was one who offered grace and mercy and brought peace. And his greatest commandment was that we should love God with all of our hearts and we should love people as ourselves. Does that sound like the old man in the sky? Does that sound like a puppet master or a sheriff? No. We have an improper view of God. And to get back to square one where we really understand who God is, we've got to look to Jesus. Jesus even encouraged his disciples, Philip, in John 14, 9, to look to him to understand the Father. It's interesting, the context of this is, is that Thomas had asked Jesus, how can we get to the Father? And Jesus said, the only way to the Father is through who? Me, through himself, through Jesus. And then Philip asks in frustration this question. He says, but Jesus, can't you just reveal God the Father to us? And Jesus further answers this question in verse 9 of John 14. He said, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is the Son of God, and because of that, we can know who God is. Jesus' claim to be God's Son also means that Jesus restores our capacity to know God, and therefore, I can know God personally. You see, it's a huge leap to go from the fact that we understand who God is to knowing Him personally. Sin confuses everything. There's one thing about humanity that's constant, and that's sin. When you're born, we're all born with one common thing, and that's sin. We're all born with different personalities, different looks, different hair color, different eye color. We're born in different places, but the one common thing about all of humanity is that we're all sinful, and sin causes us to not be able to have a relationship with God. But you know what else it does? It also confuses and twists our relationship with God. 1 John 5.20 says that we can have that confusion cleared up if we understand a personal relationship with God. Take a look at what John wrote in verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 20. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us what? Understanding. He's given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. You see, to know about God in your head is not enough. The Bible says that we should have a personal relationship with him, and that can only happen through faith and belief in Jesus, who is God's son. Take a look at 1 John 4, 15. It says, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he in God. You see, we have the opportunity. I don't want you to miss this. We have the opportunity to have a personal walk with God, a personal relationship with God, a personal journey with God, because Jesus says, I am the son of God. That's the reason that we can have a personal relationship with God. Doctors tell us that the average distance between the head and the heart is 18 inches. And I've heard it said that that is the greatest distance in the world when it comes to understanding and having a personal relationship with God. You see, some of you might be able to understand that up here, but when it comes to understanding it in your heart, 
you're having a difficult time. God says that you can have a personal, a personal relationship with him. It's not just about head knowledge. It's about understanding who God is in your own heart. Have you come to that point of decision? Have you come to that place where you know God personally, not just intellectually? You can have faith in him and you can know him because Jesus claimed to be God's son. Jesus' claim to be God's son also means that Jesus represents us before God. Therefore, I can know that I'm forgiven. Jesus represents us before God. Therefore, I can know that I am forgiven. Some of you come from a background, uh, maybe a religious background or an upbringing that's very legalistic, that's very much works-oriented and focused on you being good. Jesus turned that a whole idea upside down. And he says this, and I want you to capture this. Those of you who think you can be good enough to have forgiveness, Jesus says there's no way to accomplish that. You know why? We're all sinners. We all have this thing called sin. So if we try to be good enough to have forgiveness of our sins, we are going to fail. We're going to fail miserably. But we still try, don't we? We like to wear it as a badge of honor. I've done all these things. I serve in my church. I'm involved in this, that, and the other. I've accomplished all these things. I've helped my family this way. I've helped the poor and the needy. I've helped humanity in these ways. I want you to hear this. There is nothing that you can do that's good enough to cover your sins. There is nothing that you can do that's good enough to cover your sins. There is no correlation between your goodness and forgiveness. Absolutely none. Sorry to disappoint some of you. There is not a correlation between your goodness and forgiveness. But do you know who has the power to forgive your sins? Do you know who was good enough to do that? It was Jesus who sacrificed for your sins. Take a look at 1 John 2.1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you know so that, uh, that uh, you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. I love that verse. I don't know about you. I love that verse. Now, this verse is not a license for us to continue in our sin. But what it does say is, is that there is someone else, not me, who has the power to forgive that sin. Isn't that great? By the way, the word that he uses there, defense, was a word that the uh, custom of that day would have understood as a military or civic word. And it was usually used with a city when a city, city would build a huge wall to defend itself from those who are coming to kill, steal, and destroy. And so Jesus uses that word to describe what he does on our behalf with God. Isn't that great? That is great news that he is our defense attorney on our behalf. We don't need whatever his name is. It's on TV all the time. Ken Nugent, I think. <laughs> F. Lee Bailey. Alan Dershowitz. We don't need those guys, thank goodness, because they're not good enough. But you know who is? Jesus is good enough to go to God the Father and defend on our behalf. Jesus is not also the greatest defense attorney in terms of our sin, but he's our great high priest. He represents us before God. Hebrews 14.4 says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, that's the first time in Scripture those words have ever been used together, great high priest, who has gone through the heavens. I want you to capture that. He has gone through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we possess. 
profess. In the old tradition of Judaism, in the tabernacle, there in the temple, there were only certain people that were allowed in the temple. And in fact, the temple was broken up into three distinct areas. Two of those, one of them was called the holy place. There were certain priests that were allowed in the holy place. But then there was this place called the Holy of Holies. And no one could ever go in the Holy of Holies. In fact, there was a big veil that was uh, from top to bottom there in the temple uh, that, that, that covered up the Holy of Holies. And according to Old Testament scripture, once a year, the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. And it says that he would pass through the veil one person on behalf of the whole nation of Israel. Now, when Jesus came and when he died and when he rose again, all for our sins, the whole idea of having to go to God and be in the presence of God, which, by the way, in the Holy of Holies existed the Ark of the Covenant, where God literally existed before Jesus uh, came to, to this earth, where God literally existed, you know, reference uh, the, uh, Indiana Jones here, okay? That, that's where the, the, the high priest would go in, and on the behalf of Israel, he would represent before God. We don't have to have that anymore because, praise God, Jesus has taken our sins and he's already taken care of them. And that's why this verse says that he is our great high priest. When he says he went through the heavens, it's the same exact phrase that they would use to talk about the high priest going through the veil and representing on behalf of all of Israel the sins of Israel. If you're here today and you've been trying to get good, you've been trying to do good enough for your forgiveness... Just stop. It's crazy to think that you can. It's crazy to think that there's something that's good enough that you can do. You have to have faith in the Son of God to have true forgiveness of sins. Jesus claims to be God's Son means that He resides in our hearts, and therefore I can experience His power in my life. Many of you know I talk about it a lot that I play golf. Well, this past week, my son has shown a keen interest in playing golf the five-year-old. I'm so excited about this. So I took him down to the driving range the other day, and he's got some game. He's got some skills, which is great. And I'm trying to be the good dad, make it fun, but at the same time, like, teach him, and that's a lot of fun. Anyway, and he was doing a great job. But one thing he was doing is he was hitting that golf ball. His left foot kept going up because he, like, you know, swings the bat at home all the time. So he was doing the whole baseball thing. And I was trying to get him to understand that he needed to stand strong on the ground. He needed to have his feet planted in the ground because everybody knows that the strength in a golf shot comes from the legs, not the arms or the wrists like I try to do all the time. That the strength comes from the legs. That's where the power in the golf shot comes from. And every time he would move out of that, he lost power. It's exactly what we do in our faith. We move away from Jesus. We move away from God. Life comes in deals us a tough blow, and we move away, and we lose that power. We have a job situation that comes up, and we move away, and we lose that power. You see, God wants us to stay connected to Jesus. That's the source of strength. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but who? Christ lives where? In me. That's what you gain when you become a Christ follower, is you gain Christ in you. That's good news, isn't it? That we have access to the power of God Almighty. The life that I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. We try so hard to do it on our own, 
And Paul's words are that we ought to stop trying and have the powerful strength of Jesus to help us live our lives. 1 John 4.13 says this, We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We have access to a power that we can't even contain. And the problem is, is that we live down here. We don't tap into that power as Christ followers. So if you're here today and your faith has been rocked, if you're here today and life's circumstances have hit you so hard that you're doubting whether God even exists or whether Jesus was even the Son of God, know this, that he is the one that can give you power to overcome life's struggles. He's the one that can give you power to overcome temptation, and he's the one that can give you forgiveness of sins. Jesus' claim to be the Son of God finally means that Jesus reserves a place in heaven for us. Therefore, I can spend eternity with him. If you're in here today and you years ago asked Jesus to be your Savior, and you've had moments along the way that you've doubted that salvation, I want you to hear these words from 1 John 5, 12 through 13. He who has the Son has what? Life. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You know how long eternity is? It's forever. There's your deep thought for the day, okay? Don't think about that one too hard. Eternity, y'all, is forever. It's forever. This life is for a moment. You can leave here today and get in your car and five minutes later be gone. Where are you going? Where are you going? Are you going to spend eternity in, as John says here, death? John makes it mild in this particular passage. What he really is saying is life in hell, being tormented, eternity hangs in the balance. And here's the good part. We have a choice. It's not hazy. It's not fuzzy. It's a clear choice. We either choose life with God in heaven by accepting Jesus Christ and accepting the fact that he was God's son, asking forgiveness of our sins, or we choose to reject that. That's it. It's a choice that we make. We either choose eternal life, we either choose eternity with him, or we choose death. It's just that simple. So where are you? Did you come in here today and it's been a while? It's been a long time ago that you accepted Christ as your Savior and you've been rocked. Know that you know that you know that that decision that you made years ago, regardless of what you've been through since then, gives you eternal life with God forever. Or maybe you've walked in here today and you've never made that decision to follow Christ I want to challenge you. I want to implore you. I want to invite you to ask Jesus to be your Savior. Doesn't matter how old you are. Doesn't matter how good you've been. Doesn't matter what kind of life you lead. God offers forgiveness through the one that said, I am the Son of God. Father God, thank you so much that you sent that which was most important to you, your only Son, to die on our behalf, to be the sacrificial lamb so that we could have eternity with you. God, there's nothing in us that can be good enough, that can do enough good works, 
that can find salvation and forgiveness in ourselves. There is nothing. It is pointless. It is fleeting after nothing. And God, I pray today that you would just remind us what an important decision it was when we said yes to you. And Father God, I pray for those Christ followers in here today that have had doubts about their salvation. They've accepted you as their Savior in the past, and they have doubted whether or not they accepted you. God, if they've, they ask forgiveness of their sins, and if they put their faith in you for eternity, help them to understand that they are going to heaven, that there's nothing that can separate them from your love. But God, I pray for the one or two or three or ten who may have come in here today and they have never asked you to be their Savior. God, they've never really understood what it meant that when you hung on that cross, that you were the Son of the Almighty God, the Creator of heaven and earth. And God, I pray that you would make that real to them right now in this moment. God, I pray as they consider the decision to ask you for forgiveness of their sins and to be their Savior, God, I pray that you would help them. God, I pray that you would make it very clear in their minds. Help them to have clarity of thought that this is an easy choice. It's a choice between eternal life and eternal death. If you're in here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus, you've never said, yes, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for my sins, I want to invite you to pray a prayer along with me this morning. You can just pray it quietly in your heart, silently in your heart. You can pray it out loud if you want to. It doesn't matter to me. And the words that I'm going to say are not magic in themselves, but it's the intent of your heart. And it's a prayer that goes something like this. God, thank you for making me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. And today, I choose the Son of God. Today, I choose you, Jesus, to be my Savior. Forgive me of my past sins and help me to live for you. Now, if you prayed that prayer just in the quietness of this room, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. Anyone pray that prayer this morning? Just raise your hand up. Anyone in the room prayed that prayer to ask Jesus to be your Savior? Father God, I pray that you would give us power and strength. God, help us to tap into the power that you offer through Jesus. God, help us to understand all that you did when you said, I am the son of the living God. God, help us to live in the light of that. And God, this year on Easter, as we build up to Easter, I pray that you would raise up people who are passionate about sharing that good news, the news that you brought to the world, that you wanted to redeem mankind. Thank you that you said when asked, I am the son of the living God.